Welcome to Amalgam, a podcast focusing on creatives and entrepreneurs. You can enjoy the show on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, and YouTube. If you would like to get in touch or support the show, please visit AmalgamPodcast.com. Check out the blog for each episode on the Apple News app and follow us on Instagram at Amalgam Podcast. Thank you for taking the time to check out our show and please enjoy this new episode. Episode 21, I am here at Urban Heart Co-op. My name is Corbin Mendenhall. This is the Amalgam Podcast. I'm with Autumn Button. She runs Goblin Pottery. Autumn, how are you doing? I'm doing great. Thank you so much for meeting me and doing this. This is uh, this is actually the first time we've met face-to-face, so yeah. I appreciate you taking the risk and being part of the podcast. So. Definitely. Thank you. Thanks. Um, the reason I reached out to you is because I've been following Goblin Pottery on Instagram for a long time. And that the variety of the things that you do and the styles that you incorporate are incredibly impressive to me. And from someone who understands a little bit of ceramics and where, what is involved in that, um, I, it was important to me to get you on the podcast because I haven't had a ceramicist yet. I haven't had um, co-founding of the co-op is something I'm really excited to talk about too. But to, ki- to kick us off, can you give the audience just a little bit of your background about what Goblin Pottery is and what the Urban Art Co-op is? Sure. Yeah. Okay. So um, my name's Autumn Bunton and I'm a local person from Spokane. I was born and raised here. Um, I'm a potter. Um, let's see. When I was younger, I oil painted. Okay. I've oil painted since I was really little. Okay. And once I had my children, I decided to switch mediums because I just didn't want the paints around my kids and then they touch canvases. You know how that goes. <laughs> so I thought, well, let's try ceramics. Okay. So I took a pottery class and I instantly fell in love with it. It was like that light went off and I went, oh, yeah, that's what I'm supposed to be doing. This is where it is. Yeah, this is where it's at. That's yep. awesome. What, uh, when was that? Um, let's see. That was 2009. Okay. Yeah. So you, so this isn't like a lifetime thing that you've been doing. No, this is the, no. This is a recent, um, or not super recent, but it, you know. Yeah. Nine yeah. years. A little less than a decade. Yeah, yeah, a little better part of a decade. That's mm-hmm. great. Where was the class at that you took it? I took it at, um, at the Spokane Potters Guild. Okay. Mm-hmm. Where's that at? They are over by the community college. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And they're a nonprofit as well. They're okay. a guild. Cool. Yeah. So what does a guild mean? What is that? What is that? Is that it's, just- it's really just a group of people that get together that have a common interest. Okay. So um, it was a bunch of potters that founded that. And uh, ours, our co-op here is similar. Okay. You know, a group of us that founded this as well. Kind of structured it off some of the similar. Yeah, it's, it's, it runs differently and um, its purpose is different, but okay. it's, it has similarities. Yes. Okay, cool. I love the name Goblin Pottery. What is, where did that come from and why Goblin? Oh, yeah, that was kind of weird, huh? Okay, so um, when I first started ceramics, I was like, okay, I'll try sculpting something. So I started sculpting these little creatures and people would go, oh, is that a goblin? And I'm like, I don't know, maybe it's a goblin. Is that a goblin? Maybe. (laughs) And 
I don't know. So people would ask me over and over again if these things were goblins. And I thought, well, that's kind of an interesting name. People don't really remember Autumn Bunton Pottery, but right. but Goblin Pottery seemed a little bit like, like people would remember it. Yeah. Better, you know, so absolutely, that's why I picked it. That's cool. Yeah. And goblins, they're, you know, mischievous. They're Yeah. They're my kinda... stuff, I like my stuff to have a little bit of darkness, maybe slightly creepy, but not scary. You right. know what I mean? And yeah. I felt like it's just kind of appropriate. Yeah. Well, and, and you read like a lot of our fairy tales or like the Brothers Grimm and things like that. A lot Correct. of those stories are very, the concepts like we were talking before we started are dark and, and it's, and it can be interpreted like very, very scarily, but also um, it could be playful, and, could fun, be playful yeah. and fun and mischievous. And so that's, uh, that's interesting. Yeah. So the next question I have is your workspace and giving the audience a small overview of the equipment that you use. Do you do most of your stuff here or do you have an additional studio? I have space at home. However, okay. I mainly just use it for storing okay. and, um, you know, packing my stuff in and out for shows and shipping for online sales, that kind of thing. Gotcha. Yeah. So it's an extension. Yes, it's an extension of what's here. Um, okay. And here I use mainly a wheel. Okay. A potter's wheel mm -hmm. and the kilns that we fire the clay in. And then I use, um, you know, I hand build, do coil or pinch pots. Mm -hmm. I don't really need much for that other than a board and some clay. Yeah. Um, I don't use, we have slab rollers and stuff here, but I don't use them a whole lot. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we talked about that. I've gotten in trouble for messing up the slab roller before. <laughs> oh, you have? Oh, like too much, uh, too much clay or something? Or no, not I just right... get the, I get the fabric like wound up in yeah. the side and it starts to tear and they're like, <laughs> oh, right. Autumn, maybe you shouldn't use this lab roller. <laughs> that's, that's right. You have to keep, keep the fabric. You have to keep it very, yeah. And yeah. then yeah, I remember, it's all coming back what happens back to when you now. let a goblin use the <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> Just that mischievous, yeah, you know, yep, exactly. breaking things. Yes. Okay. So this space um, we're in right now, we're at the Urban Art Co-op. And yeah. there is, so this looks like general work areas you have some pot or some throwing stations right looks like storage i well here. no actually back here there's individual studio spaces so i have oh. my own space okay so behind. this is you yeah i'm back there okay and then um these are shared wheels for classes and for open studio use okay and then um the kilns are in the back there's also a glaze room okay and then over to your right there's um where we dry the pots mm-hmm and where we store works until they're ready to move on. Okay. Yep. Okay. And the bathroom. And the bathroom. <laughs> okay. So, let's since we spoke about this place, the Urban Art Co-op, can you give a little bit um, of a detail how it started, how it got here, and then and you mentioned you guys offer courses in open studio or yeah, yeah. So the co-op. Um, so going on five years ago, me and six mm -hmm. other potters decided okay. to start the co-op. Uh, we were hoping to create a space where um, professional potters and hobbyists and students could all be in community. Okay. Um, my, I've always wanted to do art for a living, but I really did not want to be trapped in my house by myself 24-7. I'm just way too extroverted for that. Like okay. I, would, I would leave and go do something else, you know? Yeah. So we're like having, having a workspace where um, students can be able to ask questions of people that do this every day. And um, hobbyists can come in and just hang out with other potters they know would be a great thing, like a long-term kind of home for potters. And also a place that, like, even if you're not really a member here, you can just stop by and talk to other potters, mm -hmm. you know, hang mm -hmm. out, bring your lunch. And, and yeah, and, and just, just be, be exposed. Yeah. yeah. So the, 
the students that have come here is that the courses they're doing here or are they um is this an extension of work they're doing somewhere else or how, um, how does that they work? are eight week courses okay. so people sign up for a class and the class is once a week for eight weeks and then um they can use the studio during that time in between their classes wow. so like if they want to come in other days and practice or whatever yes at the end of that period they can apply for membership oh okay and if they want to join as a member then they get to kind of choose a tier so you can choose to be like a half studio artist where you actually have some rented exclusive shelving okay. versus sharing open shelving. Okay. Or um, if we had a full studio artist space available, you could go for that. Or you could, you know, there's, there's several different levels. So you can just kind of choose your needs for gotcha. the studio. Yeah. That's pretty interesting. Yeah. What does, a, what does an eight-week course look like for, and do you guys do like entry level or do you guys kind of want a little bit more of an intermediary experience before you get here? Well, so how we have ours designed is that m most of our teachers here, really all of them at the moment, um, are volunteers for the most part. Okay. They get free use of the studio, but they don't pay, they don't get paid to teach. So just like everybody that runs our co-op, nobody's paid here. We have gotcha. not one paid employee. Interesting. So, um, because of that, we also let them completely design their course. They get to decide what they're teaching, how long they're teaching, how many students they want to take, so on and so forth. So the classes can look really different. Gotcha. Um, occasionally I'll teach like an intermediate or advanced class and it, it, I might hone in on something really particular. Like okay. we're just going to work on lids or we're just doing, you know, large bowls or, you know, something in particular. But most of the classes are um, beginning or all levels. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. I'm thinking yeah. So a lot of times you don't need like um, a whole lot of experience. You could just jump in and take a class and see if it's your thing. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And one once a week is not a major commitment. No. Eight weeks is like a couple months. It's not bad. No, not at all. And there's a... Um, there's hand building class, which is where you do like slab pots. Yes. And and there's also wheel throwing. And then we have a class that's on Wednesday that's kind of unique. It's half hand building and half wheel throwing. And the, the thought with that was if you weren't weren't sure which you preferred, you could come in and maybe try them both and get, get that a feel. exposure. Yeah. 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 That's awesome. That's interesting. Um so how how has the response been in the last five years? Do you guys feel like um the community is is taking to ceramics in this area or how, what would you, what would you say? Um, I would say that it's been fantastic. It's been much, much better than what we expected it to be. We kind of started off in, in a very small hole in the wall location and we're just like, it's going to take us years and years to build this up. So it is what it is. Yeah. And, um, we quickly outgrew our building and moved to this building and it's, it's just been great. You know, it's, that's awesome. Yeah. The community has been really accepting of it. But of course they redid Monroe, which has been wonderful. Yes. This entire yeah. drive down here. It's like, man, they have put some energy and some time into this. Oh, lane. it looks so great. Yeah. yeah. And all the storefronts and the sidewalks and it just, it's clean and it feels good over here for sure. Yeah. And it pulled together the community more. Yeah. But I feel like, um, Spokane needed definitely another pottery studio, especially a community potty, pottery studio that was nonprofit you know, um, because we only had the guild before there's the clay connection, but they're a for-profit. Um, so the, it's just a couple different models, but in a city this size, you need more than just one or two. You need a few options. Gotcha. Yeah. yeah. 
Is there anything out in the valley like that? There is, yeah. Um, there's a guy named Kyle. He owns Spokane Pottery Supply out in the valley. It's a it's a fairly new place. It's awesome. Uh, they also teach classes and um, similar stuff, but cater more to the valley. I'm sure the valley could use a couple of places too because it's a pretty large area yeah, as well. Yeah, you know? the residential is just yeah. I mean, so people much. with pottery, you've got to keep coming back and checking up on your pieces and messing with them. So you kind of you, you need it to be someplace somewhat convenient. Yeah, that's work. a good point. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's been a long time since I took a ceramics class, and so um, but yeah, I remember we were supposed to do a two foot coil pot and i came back over the weekend and it was collapsed <laughs> oh no so, but what's funny yeah. about that project is the next one i did was way better and i did it faster so i don't know you learned yeah yeah exactly to kind of steer back towards you personally a little bit you mentioned oil painting before are there other mediums besides ceramics and oil painting that you've dabbled in or you pursue um, there hasn't been, okay. I'm, um, I, when I started oil painting, I was pretty young and I mean like maybe 12 or mm -hmm. younger. Okay. And so I just always had that available to me. So that's why I did it. Yeah. Um, and then as I got older, I, I was on my own at a very young age, so I didn't really have a lot of access to trying different things. Okay. So it was like, stick with what you know. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So I, yeah, so I just did that. And then when I tried um, ceramics, I, I knew that this was the fit. So I haven't had a lot of desire to move outside of that because there's just endless things to do. Yeah. What was that in that initial ceramics class? One, what was the kind of aha? Was it the, the feeling of the clay or working, you know, working with your hands? Or what, what do you think kind of um, flipped the switch? That's an interesting question. I, I think... I think it was kind of the mixture of all of it. Okay. It was that it was something I could do with my hands. And it was like, you know, I could, all of these pictures that I had painted in 2D, it was like now I could make 3D versions of them, right? And I could make functional things that were artistic. Right. And like so, vessels and yeah, the possibilities of all of that, plus the, um, the challenge of the technical part, mm -hmm. I think I actually enjoy, yeah. which I didn't think I would, but I do. Yeah, it can be intimidating, but if you like the challenge of appropriately doing this procedure, then yeah, yeah. ceramics is for you. And it lets you know if you're doing it wrong. Yeah, <laughs> it definitely does. Fail. As it sags <laughs> exactly. off the board. Uh, yes. That's awesome. The thing about ceramics is that, and what a lot of people don't, they don't see that checking in, that coming back. When you're in a ceramics class at school, like in high school or in college when I took it, you have to show up to that class a few days a week. And so it's, you just kind of, you're already worrying about it, but man, that would be kind of difficult to, to step away and then be thinking about it constantly and not know when you're going to come back and check that thing. So I'm trying, I want to join a class and now I'm thinking about, I better make sure that I'm, I'm yeah, I mean, time to you, do it. you need to be coming in. Like if you have stuff in, in the process, um, you need to come in like every two days or so to check on your stuff unless it's like you know a finished piece that's just drying and then it then you're okay but yeah. but to get to that finished piece yeah. it takes you a gotta while. keep coming in yeah <laughs> um okay the cultural vibe from your pieces are really varied right and, and incredibly excellent and, and i i love scrolling through what you've done um Thank you. when i looked at when I was researching you, there was a little Spokane River Artist Studio tour 
Right. And they mentioned, um, I think they interviewed you a little bit, and they mentioned that you were steering a little bit towards mid-century and vintage inspiration. Do you, can, you, can you talk about that a little bit and why you choose that? Sure. Um, well, I grew up in a really old farmhouse okay. um, that was homesteaded by my family um, in the 1800s. And so there was endless old things from every generation in the closets and outhouses and outbuildings and all that. And so I would, I would play with all these old things, but also all of the fabrics and things I was around were older patterns and older styles of things. And I just, I think I really fell in love with the style of all of that and separating it, being able to tell, okay, this is like this era and this is that era, you know? Um, and I just, I just really like the look. I prefer the look of that, Mm -hmm. you know, and I want to see if I can recreate some of that feeling. Like when somebody would pick up a piece that was mid-century, you know, what about those pieces Um, makes them feel a certain way and makes them go, oh, this is definitely a mid-century piece. I want them to be able to see that Mm -hmm. just in the work, you know. Okay. That's that's kind of a challenge to be able to just recreate that in a piece. And everything's so cultural from why, why they made those design decisions exactly. and things like that. So if you don't, I mean, this is 2019, this is the 1800s. And so what the things that they worried about on a day-to-day and what you cared about or what you thought was beautiful or you thought was artistic or whatever, however it spoke to you, tapping into that would be a challenge today when today's like, if I want an example of something, I just Google it and then I can look at it, you know? Right. But that feeling you get when you look at that pattern of that fabric or... um or for me, a lot of times when you, you look at, like, my mom bought my kids a book about this bunny, and it's an old book, and she's charged by, like, the head bunny to go up the hill and get something. I think it's like a golden egg or something like that. And just the, the drawing, the colors, the way that they posed the figures and things like that, and then you look at, like, their clothes that they're wearing and stuff, and it's just, you you... I don't know what the feeling is I get from that, but I know what you're saying. There's mm-hmm. this, I don't know, it's, it, natural is not the right word, but there's a very honest, natural feeling from all of that. The specific sense of an era. Yeah, the specific, yeah and, and especially when you mentioned the, the fabrics or the, the patterns. Because that, yeah. that, 1800s, um, you know, the patterns or the, the fabrics and everything came from all over the world. And there was trade built around getting all of these textiles together. And, and you see paintings of an old, like, uh, kings or whatever. Or like, who's the guy who ran Versailles? I never remember. It's like, there are pictures of themselves. And oh, they've yes. got their yeah. draping fabrics and everything like that. And then the artist who did all of that. It's, there's also a very dark feeling with all of that, with that mid-century, that... that um, some of that culture, like it, you can tell that it wasn't all happy go lucky and fun and bubbly. Like the fairy tales might seem that way, but the in the art style and the colors and the vibrancy. But you look down behind a little bit, there's no electricity, people were getting sick all the time, medicine wasn't there. And so the tears of class, like right. you oh, know, yeah. who had access to what, like definitely, you couldn't just go do whatever you wanted, you had to do what your class was supposed to do. So Definitely. A little bit of a rambling there. I apologize. Oh, no, you're fine. I I like to just, um, I just think it's really fun to think of myself making something in a specific era. Yeah. And how would I reflect that? Because they're always like, um, 
an idea that I would have for something and then put into a specific era or style okay. that, that I'm trying to come across. And uh, I just, I, I think that's really fun because it's like almost like speaking a different language with something you would already be saying. You know, ah. like, I'm just going to translate this in this way. That's you a know? cool way to think about it for sure. Yeah, what's it, based on your interpretation, yes. what you want to yeah. deliver now. And that's, that's actually a really cool way to think about it. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, the, so kind of speaking to your variety a little bit, your functional pieces are incredibly varied. Yes, yeah. How do you keep coming up with fresh um, executions for those, for functional pieces? When, when like a vessel, like it needs to stand still, it needs to hold the water, it needs to be able to disperse. So how do you, how do you vary that style? How do you come up with new ideas all the time? So I have a picture in my head of a particular style or kind of like a dream of a pattern or a shape. And then I will think of how I can make that into a function. So like, you know, I've been thinking of this wide bottom pot that looks like an owl. How can I make that look like a pitcher? And what would it look like in these several different forms? And then I'll start sketching some things out. Okay. And I'll reserve time to like um, come up with a lot of different ideas for how I can make those things. So I like set aside that time to do that. Okay. And then when I come in to work and I'm ready. Like I have my plans drawn out and I know what I'm going to do. Okay. Yeah. The, um, when you were, because you said like you dreaming up a shape or where do you find yourself, you know, when ideas, artistic ideas just happen with your, for me, it's like I'm mowing the lawn or doing something monotonous and it's like, Oh, I got an idea and I need to write that down. Where do you find yourself inspired or so I group things together. Okay. So if I'm thinking of things like, let's say I'm thinking of cartoon characters from the 20s. Okay. And I'm thinking of kind of like, okay, what, is, what comes to mind when I think of that? Then I, then I start to think of shapes that mimic those styles and um, how I can express that as a whole. Okay. You know? So that's kind of how my brain ends up pulling that out. And it's kind of like one thing leads to another. Right. Yeah. It sounds very procedural. It turns into like this. Okay. This is like a whole grouping of items of this one style. Gotcha. And I don't always get to making all of them, but, but something, and then random things will just pop up that are totally out of line with the other things I'm making and I'll sketch them up and go, okay, we'll do that later. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So you have a, you keep a a large sketchbook of ideas and concepts and plans. Not nearly as organized as I should be. Yeah. So it's more like, loose scraps of paper that I stick in my purse and bring to work and then have laying out somewhere. Okay. You know? <laughs> okay. So you don't have like a, a collated collection that, okay. Okay. All right. Nope. Not at all. Whatever works though. <laughs> yeah. Right? Yeah. That's awesome. I actually awesome. found out that, um, using like, you know, the sticky tablets, uh, notepads, the little sticky notes yep, yep. that I could, um, draw up the basic versions of the more detailed sketches I had made and just line those up, and then I know what I need to be working on. Oh, you know? right. Yeah. That's nice. That's a nice system. It works. Yeah. And then when I know it's done, I can just pull it off and throw it in the garbage. Yes. Yeah, yeah and you physically have it. Like, mm, yes. Mm, and then it's less. So I don't have to try to organize it in my brain. I can see it that's actually, sitting there. That's a really good idea. Yeah. Now that I'm thinking about it. Because I try and keep a notebook, and I date every, I've gotten like more uniform in how I put that information in there. But... The, <laughs> 
one day it's like here's an idea for after effects and the other day it's like i want to write a story <laughs> or something right and so yeah. it's going back to that is not quite as organized as you would think even though it's all in one book but well, because you have to physically go back to the book yeah that's why i like it just being there like stuck to something is because i have to see it like that, i'm walking by it totally you know? true and and digitally like i call it like digitally hoarding um i'll like i have notes here and i scroll down and i forget that there's notes that i put in there you know what i mean because i don't there's notes about work there's notes about this there's no you know it's not whereas if you have a design book or a design location to put all your your stuff it's you won't forget anything nothing's going to slip through the cracks necessarily exactly which yeah. can happen um computers are great and everything but it's not necessarily the solution just because it's consolidated with everything else uh yeah, so, I'm not nearly as good at using that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it's always a it's always a process or a progress in in just whatever works for people. I I just started like a two years ago keeping a notebook. It's not like it's been my my go to, but in college in art classes they always encourage the notebook doesn't need to be this like perfectly clean thing. Like if you see something, cut it out of the magazine, tape it in, or sketch over it or whatever like make it messy you know mm -hmm. and keep that as an inspirational idea booklet but makes sense i mean i find myself doing doing that on several pages and then just tucking them in somewhere but then i have books for particular things okay like books of glazes and glazes i'm working on yes. and books of uh weights that i use for certain dinnerware sets or you know interesting how much you know so i have like things that i have to have yes written down formulas and, and stuff and then i have like other things that are just random floating so when you say paper. weights of dishware and things like that are there standard like or does it depend on the type of material, the clay, or is there, like, does a plate need to be about X pounds plus or minus a tolerance, or what is? Um, for the most go? part, yes. Okay. I mean, there's a certain amount. Like, I mean, if you want it to be ten and a half inches across, it you need X amount of clay to do that at the okay. minimum. Yeah. But then beyond that, it really depends on how thin you want your wares to be or how much detail you're going to add to them and how right. big the rim is. All you know, all yeah. the other things. So like, you come up with your own design and what works for you and then you you know whittle that down to the right size okay and once you've dialed it in then you write it down so you don't forget gotcha yeah. okay okay so it's an after the fact sort of thing it's not like we're gonna try this and then if it works we'll keep it mm -mm. gotcha at least not for me i'm okay. sure yeah. everybody does them different <laughs> yeah with glazes when when you're making a glaze what goes into making a glaze so making a glaze i mean it's it's kind of it's similar to cooking okay Except for, you know, you can't taste it right then yeah. and figure out if you've done it correctly, right? right? So so there's a lot of chemicals involved and you need to protect yourself and wear gloves and a mask. Okay. And uh, there's a zillion and ten recipes because we have the web now. You can search all these recipes, find out ones, you know, read the comments and find out ones that might work for you. Right. And then um, when you get a little bit more into it, you can start to tailor those recipes to what you'd like or just make your own ones from scratch. Okay. Okay. Um, glazing. Um, there's. Can you remind me? There's scraffito. Is the process? Is that like the pre-glaze type thing? How yeah, scraffito happens um, before you before you glaze. Before so you glaze. yeah, so you would take like um, a slip 
which is slip, like that's clay, what it's called. and you would brush it on top of the other clay. And sometimes the slip is colored, okay, or sometimes the slip is just lighter colored than the clay body itself. And then when that kind of dries, then you would use a tool um, to etch out a design that you would like to be seen on the piece. Mm-hmm. And then after it goes through the firing the first time, then you would glaze it mm-hmm. and then send it through the firing mm-hmm. again. Yes. Okay. Our art, my art teacher in high school, Lonnie Shang, um, he does a lot of crazy graffito stuff and still does. And they're, they're pretty interesting. I'll, I'll, I'll show them to you after this because awesome. I'm sure you'd like it. Yeah. What are, just real quickly, what are the types of functional pieces that you prefer to make um, yourself versus other ones? I think I prefer to make larger functional pieces like uh, large pitchers casserole dishes, fermentation crocks, mm-hmm. composters, that kinds of thing. Because it gives me a lot more surface area to play with than smaller pieces. Yeah. And um, the shape, working with shapes that are larger, I just find that more fun. Okay. Yeah. That's cool. This a random question. I just yeah. Was no, it's a good question. So <clears throat> mentioning um, throwing clay in pinch and coil pots, and my question is, is my favorite is the slab pots. We've talked about it a little bit. Is there, do you have a particular opinion towards slab pots? A particular opinion? Not really. It's just such a different, I will say this every time, because I am a wheel thrower yeah. and it's a lot faster. Once you get used to throwing on the wheel, it's very, it's a quick process, right? Yes. And then you can go back and alter the pieces or you can cut them up and rejoin them in other ways. You know, Yes. that's the altering part. Um, if you work with slabs, then you're rolling out a slab of clay and most likely you're compressing it. Then you're letting it dry to a certain texture. Yeah. Then you're cutting it up and adding it together. So to me, it's like extra steps. Yes. So when I do that, I'm like, why am I doing this? Cause it takes so much more time. I'm like, oh my gosh. But with that said, there are people that do slab work and just make really incredible things. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. The, I, I always took to them because i i for me i liked that phases let the leather hard right is that what they call it the yeah. leather hard before you can score it mm-hmm. in, in um score and slip is that what they call it yeah once it's leather hard you can score it and slip it mm-hmm. um and it's more workable yeah so yeah so that's i had to throw that out there i've always i was always successful with slab pods and not as successful with everything else like i mentioned that coil pod it, it um just didn't didn't want to live after a weekend, but that's okay. It, I ended up completing that project. You'd that. get more successful if you did it more. Yes, that's how that works. Yes, yes, the practice. So folk art pieces, right? That genre, um, how you found, or the when that exposure began, and any particular reason why folk art inspires you. So. When I was younger, my mother liked to sell antiques. And so she would go to auctions and buy a lot of antiques and bring them all home. And we'd go through this hoard of antiques. Um, And one of the things that would come up that I'd always look at in her identification books was face jugs from the South. Okay. So I make some of those. Those are a folk art piece. Um, and, And looking in that category at American folk art, I just really could identify with it. Most of the people that do folk art are self-taught and it's a little rougher, but there's something really honest about it that I enjoy. And so when I think about work that I purchase for myself, I usually choose that style of work. 
This is so, what that's where you're, yeah, you're drawn that's, to. Yeah, I just like it. What is an example of a uh, if you, for the audience if, describe the face pot? What, what oh, is okay. that the one where they got like the long noses sometimes? Or they look kind of like a like almost like a jester. Face? Well, you know, you don't really see a lot of face jugs in this part of the country. Okay, they're um, originated down south, and there's a lot of different, um, I guess, opinions of where they came from, but traditionally, or at least most people seem to think, that they came over here um, and were used as as markers for slaves' gravestones because they weren't allowed to have gravestones, the slaves weren't, so they would put these face jugs on there and remember who was buried where. And it, as it, it doubled as um, something that would ward off evil spirits because it was supposed to be like, the nastier the face was on it, the scarier the face, Oh wow! the more it would scare them off. And then in the South, later they used them for moonshine. So it was like, it would scare the kids away from the moonshine, right? It has this scary face on it. And it's, you know, so there's kind of like dual purpose here, right? Yes. And, and up here, you just don't really see them or people don't really understand what they are. But down South, there's a lot of people that collect them. Okay. Because they're so old and they go back so okay. far. So Southern United States. So yes. not like South America. No. Like, okay. Okay. Um, I mean, they have their own versions of those kinds right. of things, was, but, but, yeah. not, but not like ours. Yes. And so you'll see them. A lot of them are, are real rough looking and a lot of them are really creepy or scary looking. And that, that goes with the tradition of making face jugs. Uh, but because I'm from the Northwest and people here often don't know what they are, I tend to make them a little less scary yeah. because people are more likely to like them here if they're less scary. <laughs> yes. A little brighter. Yeah. Know. If I make them too scary, they sit, they sit around for a while <laughs> or people get scared that's, out of my booth. That's funny. And <laughs> the, um, that's probably, um, man, as a, as a maker, you see what sells and what sits and you know what, does that, do you ever feel, I'm sure this is, I'm sure I'm answering my question as I ask it, but as an artist, um, knowing why you made those pieces and things like that, does it, do you ever feel like, ah, will somebody just understand why this thing exists? I guess I should, but not, not entirely Yeah. because I feel like, um, so I'll make something for a whole myriad of different reasons. Like it might just be that I didn't want to have to do some deep thinking about the, sh the form I'm making that day. And I decided to throw a bunch of cylinders. And so now I have uh, honey pots that are straight up and down and I'll decorate them. I'll use that as a canvas and decorate them later. Or it might be something like I decided to do a face jug and people don't maybe understand what it is. But I just kind of have this feeling like, you know, there's a piece for each person. So they'll, they'll come in and if it's not for them or they don't get it, then it's not for them. And if they want to know what it is, then I'll explain to them what it is, you know? Yeah. But I, I try not to cater too much. I mean, everybody wants to sell stuff, you know? So I want, I want to make stuff that sells, but also I don't want to cater so much to that that I'm not expressing myself. You that's, know, that's awesome. That's yeah. good for you to stay true to that. I mean, it's yes. It's, like I was saying earlier with graphic design, the tendency is to, to perpetuate what's popular because mm -hmm. you, you, are confident that that's going to go, but um, taking the risks is actually where it's at, and being and, and waiting for that natural connection with the audience um, for yeah. them to take that piece or or what, however long it takes. That's I cool. feel like the harder part, at least in pottery, is right away making your own boundaries for what you're going to say no to. What won't you make, and why won't you make those things? Interesting, you know. Is there a lot of pressure to, to start with? Well, maybe not a lot of pressure, but it, do you feel pressure from 
to make things that you don't really care to make? Not anymore. Okay. But I did initially. Like, you know, it's one of those things you make a rule and then then it's tested over and over again to see if you actually mean it. You know what I mean? Because money talks, right? So so people will be like, hey, do you want to make 50 mugs with this logo on it? And I'm like, "Mm, do I? No, no, I don't. (laughs) Nope. But, <laughs> but I had to decide that there. along. Yeah, yeah, the money's there, and I had to decide that a long time ago. You know, because you have to decide what kind of pottery is a really wide. You know, there's people that are makers that yes. just just make certain things, and there's people that are more into the art side of it, and there's people that are somewhere in between. So you have to kind of decide where you're going to fit in that and mean it. And yeah, and you know, and be there. Yes. Yes, that's awesome. That's that's really interesting. Because to me, like I look at like personally those galaxy mugs that are the galaxy looking pattern on those to me i'm like make a thousand of those you know what i mean like i would buy all of them for all my family members and stuff it's like but maybe she doesn't maybe she doesn't like making that particular thing as often i mean i'm sure you do because you did and it was your idea and it is executed amazingly thank you um, yes but i could see that when once people are like oh this is it this is what you should do all the time maybe it happens more often than I think some artists, like I look at some people's stuff and they'll choose one thing and they're like, I have been making this mug in this pattern, in this style for 30 years, you know, and I've perfected every part of it. And I just think there's something magical about that too. I mean, they've really put their time and energy into getting an idea just so. And I, and I love that. But then also there's a part of me that wants to constantly create that new thing in my head. So I try to just create better versions of what I'm thinking all the time. So like I've created galaxy mugs before, several different versions of them. And, you know, I'll revisit it. So I'll make a grouping of them. I'll see how that goes. I'll figure out what I need to make better. And I might not come back to it for six months. And when I come back, they'll be better than the last ones, hopefully. Yeah. 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 (laughs) That's cool. Okay. So it's like a new workup of the same idea. Yes. You know? Yes. But, and also its own uniqueness about it. Mm-hmm. The, um, yeah, when people get to that level where they can do it in their sleep and, yes. they, and they make it look beyond easy and then you try like painting, for example, somebody smoothly brush strokes and they get the shape out of the, the hairs that they wanted. Oh yeah. And you take that same brush <laughs> and it's like, <laughs> what, just happened? What, what did I do? Yeah. It's yeah. not even remotely close at all. So. A thousand, ten thousand hours or whatever, right? To be an expert in something. That's what they always say. For sure. Yeah. I do a lot of repetitive throwing. I throw a trillion things and things that I don't like are just gone. You know, I just get rid of them. So I always have the. Or is there like, um, there's always that bin, right? Where you can. The reclaim. Yes. Yeah. The reclaim. Yes, yes. Yeah. And I have, um, I do quite a bit of recycling of my clay okay. and reworking items, but. You know, I, for me, it's what you're saying. It's a lot of it's muscle memory, right? And trial and error. So I'll do a lot of things and things that I've made a zillion times. You know, I, I know what I'm doing there. I don't have to think about it as much, but I'm, I always try to challenge myself to make an item better than how I made it and not be just complacent in the idea that, you know, I get comfortable in like the success, like how that sell sells. I don't need to change it. Don't need to change it. Don't need to make it better. I want it to increasingly get better. Yes. And even in, in any incremental way. Right. Even if it's a tiny. Yep. Yeah. That's awesome. That's great. You speak really well on the microphone. Oh, thank you. Yeah. You're very smooth at this. There's not a lot of ums and ahs and things oh, like that. Oh, that's good. You, yeah. You're very confident. 
First time on the podcast, so. Yeah? Have you not done a podcast before? No, I haven't. But you've been interviewed a few times, I'm sure. I have. I've been interviewed a couple of times. Um, I think I got a little less nervous about this kind of stuff, strangely, from recording myself throwing things. Ah, yeah. That's when, like, you, like, throw yourself out there and you go, okay, everything I'm uncomfortable with about myself, people are going to see. And at some point, you just have to go, eh. Yeah. <laughs> You oh, do. Well. <laughs> you have to make the decision to, because if any, if the audience is focusing on, on anything that's not what you're trying to show, like for you, for example, like you you post a video of throwing or whatever, yeah. you know, if they're not looking at that video as she's sharing this process right? and you're going to learn just simply by watching, you're missing the point. Like exactly. you're wasting your energy talking about anything else or yeah. paying attention to anything else. It's interesting with folks who haven't been on podcasts before, like you hand them the mic and you get them going and it's like, this very natural, very good at this. And so um, great. it is awesome. This has been awesome. Real, real quick before, where, where are your works and where can people get them? Oh yeah. Okay. So I have works down at Atticus okay. downtown. I have works at Pottery Place Plus. I have works at From Here, the mm -hmm. terrain shop in River Park Square. I have works at the Entry Gallery at Priest Lake. Um, I have works at Northwest Handmade in Sandpoint. Um, GoblinPottery.com online, Etsy. Um, let's see, where else? Oh, Spokane Arts up on Garland. Okay. I'm probably missing something. But that's all I can think of at the moment. That's for, I mean, for the better part of a decade, you're, not, you're self taught. Not a ton of formal, like, ceramics? No, I took a class from a guy here named John Newman, one of those eight-week courses okay. at a guild. <laughs> and um, I'm not the best student, so. <laughs> but, <laughs> well, so. Mainly just because I, I don't always understand the way people are telling me things, so mm. I just kind of have to try it and then figure out what question I have. Gotcha. You know what I mean? Because yeah, he'll say, yeah. oh, well, make the inside of your pot match the outside. And I'm like, come again? Like, I don't understand that until I get to the point where I see that. And then I'm like, oh, okay, now I get it. <laughs> like, it's just too much at once for me. But okay. um, John ended up being a great friend and mentor and is one of the co-founders here in this co-op with me, too. So it's really cool because the person that I first took the class from is still here. Yeah. So, and they have that full circle to where this is you. Exactly. Making a living, essentially, in the guy who exposed it and got yes. you started is right there next to you exactly that's yeah. so cool and several other people that were there too yeah yeah it's really great well okay that's a question i have who inspires you as far as artists oh wow okay who yes, inspires I, me as far random as artists? questions now i ran um, we burned through you're so good at this we burned through all my notes so we're there's have a to get zillion random. ceramics artists that i look at online i'm inspired by all kinds of people but I would say that um, I'm most inspired by vintage fabrics and, and like very old paintings for the most part. So, I mean, there's local artists. I mean, there's, there's really, really good artists in Spokane. I, you know, and we all try to draw off of each other and get ideas from each other. And, uh, but I, I can't think of a particular person that I would say, bam, it's this person. That's you know okay. what I mean? The community in itself. The community in itself, yeah. Is inspiring. Yeah, more than just influence. like a particular. Yeah, one, yeah. okay. Yeah. That's cool. When you mentioned um, dreaming up or thinking up your ideas or processing them, 
Do you go to any like particular specific resources for influence? Um, like for me, I tried to, I was given a book, um, art history or like an encyclopedia of art history. So you just A through Z and you can just open up a random page and pick something. And now you're exposed to something new culturally and an artistic. Um, do you have anything like that? Like, um, forums so, or, or well so what i do is kind of weird I'll, I'll what i'll do is all so i'm looking at a certain era like say i'm looking at mid-century stuff instead of me looking up mid-century pottery i'll look up mid-century furniture and i'll go okay what are the the shapes they're using in this furniture like how is that and how can i inspire use that inspiration for this and um you know then when you look at things like the pottery they kind of some of their things mimic the things around them you know so i'll use that i'll look up a zillion resources online just to see what people have already done and kind of what's there but i try not to look it up while i'm doing the process because gotcha. i don't want it to be too closely reflected in my work in the and, pro yeah while yeah. you're actually etching things away versus exactly i mean we all have some of that stuff in our head anyways yes but because i'm i'm doing errors of things that have already been done and have already been seen I want the work to still be original. Yes. You know? Yes. So so I try to pull from other things that are of that era. That's yes. why I say like fabric or like wallpaper. Because I'm like, how can I take these things and use them in, in this medium where they haven't really been used? That's awesome. So is in ceramics with forms and structure and building up and it needs to hold itself together yeah furniture makes a lot of sense do you ever find yourself looking at like architecture or engineering or anything yeah like yeah that? sometimes i'll look at architecture just just um simply to look at how the forms meet ah joining you know? and yeah like the that. joining and kind of like the lines how, how where the lines are at on the pieces um because there's so many different ways to make things like bases or plates i mean you can there's a zillion and 10 different styles and, and ways to do that. But if you can get a fresh look on it from seeing something else that wasn't, you know, intended for right. uh, that function, yeah. then, then it can give you kind of a fresh approach, you know? Interesting. That's a really good idea. Mm. So do you find, are you reading anything right now? Are you a reader or a, a I am. watcher of TV or listener of music. If you could order those three things, okay, all right. So <laughs> all, any, the all the mediums. What yeah. are you What are you reading right now? Um, I'm reading uh, "Savage Bones" by Jesmyn Ward, okay. and it is a book about Katrina. Oh, interesting. Yeah, and it's it's amazing. It's dark and sad and everything you would expect Katrina victims to have had to have gone through. Yes. Um, and I'm only. A third of the way into the book so wow. <laughs> so i don't know the whole well the especially whole thing with yet. everything like with the bahamas right now and just it, and since katrina there's it seems like i mean haiti i mean there's been all sorts of areas devastated yes um something that's interesting about that is there's this author who wrote a book called tribe and his um and he also would travel to like war zones as a as a journalist and to be into be exposed in the in the field um and he noticed that people find themselves happiest isn't the right word but in community and alive together at times of devastation and tragedy 
if that makes sense. Like yeah. after the world wars, the people during the rebuilding of all of that and having to come together and support each other and to help each other through all of this devastation, they felt more alive and felt more together and connected than afterwards when everything was rebuilt and somewhat, you know, smoothed over for lack of a better phrase. It really it really kind of it changed the way I looked at some of the some of the just the way human populations will interact with each other in, in our collective mindset about things. So that sounds like a really interesting book. I would want to I would want to check out. It's it's wonderful. It's yeah. a, she also had one called Sing Unburied Sing. Um, she has several other books, but uh, but I've so far everything I've read of hers I've loved. Okay, it's been really good. Puerto Rico too. That was another location that's been hammered. Oh yeah, yeah. And it's just constant. It's awful, constant. and especially in this part of the country, you know, we don't see a whole lot of that. I mean, we've had the ice storm. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. So not nearly the same thing, you yeah, know. We're so like, oh, we had insulated. no power. <laughs> yeah. Right. Like yeah, and there was that windstorm that was pretty dicey oh, yeah. one year. Um, yeah. But. Not near the same no. devastation as a full-on natural disaster. Yeah. So I, I feel like it's important to maybe be able to have a closer look at the people that have dealt with that and and empathize with yes. what they're going through, where they're at, and why they are where they're at. Right. They're struggling still, you know. Which, I mean, Puerto Rico, there's always, there's new news, it seems like, every month about somebody who was responsible for leading initiatives to make, to, to help Puerto Rico. Now they're arrested because they took advantage of a scenario. I mean, the, it was yeah. the, um, I mean, big people that were supposed to be helming proper organizations for infrastructure, taking advantage of it. Um, but then you have groups like one of the guests of the podcast exposed me to a guy named Chef Jose Andreas, and he's part of this organization called World Central Kitchen. Oh, yeah. Have you heard yeah. of them? Yeah. yeah. So right now they just did, um, I think they're approaching a half million meal, meals that they've provided for um, the Bahamas right now. That's awesome. Yeah. And, and you watch their Instagram, and he's out on the chopper pad telling them, like, so this is the chopper. It's getting ready to get loaded to go here. And there'll be two more chopper, you know, runs after this. And, I mean, and it's like, that's, that's some inspiring stuff. right? That there, is right? really inspiring. Yeah. It's wonderful. It is. Um, meals, a hot meal. And, then, yeah. and what, was, what Jeremy was telling me, because he um, went down to Puerto Rico and Jose Andres met him there. And what Jeremy was doing down there, it was all hot meals from locally sourced resources and the way they set it all up was that people could keep this moving you know what i mean it wasn't oh, like they yeah. just show up give them some food and bail and then that's it it's like they show up they set up an infrastructure and then they can, so they move can on. keep feeding their food. yeah and yeah. the people can take it over themselves afterwards that's so, wonderful yeah it's it's it, it's something i'm really glad i got exposed to that because it it and books like that are helpful as well. I want to check that out for sure. What was the author again? Jasmine Ward. Jasmine Ward. And it was called? Um, the one I'm reading right now is called, I'm sorry, I'm just. That's like, okay. I'm just uh, completely zoning out right now. I know. Okay. Sing Unburied Sing was the first one. And then now I'm reading Salvage Bones. Salvage Bones. Yeah. Okay. Awesome. Or salvage the Bones. But I think it's Sal Salvage Bones. Yeah. Okay. Mm. All right. Only question I randomly was um, when 
you work when you're submitting work to a place like from here spoken what's that process like do people vet you and find you or do you apply to them or how how does that work it's usually some of both but i'm when you're first starting to sell your work you know the most important thing is you have to have really good pictures of your work take good pictures and write up something about yourself and then you just start submitting and you'll hear some no's and you'll hear some yeses and you'll just keep submitting. And that's, you, know? and you just got to get it started. Yeah, you just got to get it started. And then as people see you in some places and you, it'll get easier to get into other places. Yeah. You know, it won't, there won't be the stranger danger. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. That's um, the stranger danger. With, right. Who is the, this person? Yes. <laughs> well, and that's with the podcast. It's like I have to. I have to be like, it's a real podcast. There's actual episodes. Like, well, yeah, I'm not just so saying this. Scared of anything yes. online anymore, you know? Yeah, I mean, I just almost got scammed this week just because people are so good at faking things anymore. Really? Yeah, they it call was, you on the phone. Well, I've I've gotten better about ignoring random phone numbers, but yes. this was actually something where I was I I was seeking something out, and they impersonated this organization whoa yeah and okay they even, that's good to know yeah there was even some like linkedin impersonation where they they did their research pulled some real people off linkedin and then impersonated wow. them and stuff yeah it was it not to go too negative or anything but it was a really i just felt like because, violated a little yeah, bit yeah because they you know i gave them a lot of information not like personal dangerous information to hand over but a lot of who I am you know I put a lot of thought into what I was saying to them and, and talking to them about and so and I don't know that person I'll never see that person and it's like they weren't who they said they were it's, that's be. a little scary yeah, yeah. so well, at least you're not alone yes exactly exactly <laughs> it happens to a lot of people for sure but that's not yeah. cool no it's not and so not to, not to I might I might cut all that out but yeah. anyways because I don't want it to be too right, too right. Dark. I don't want people to stay in their house and be afraid to take risks or right anything right because no. I wouldn't have had this amazing conversation with you on this podcast if i didn't this just is wonderful thank you for finding me on here yeah i appreciate yeah. your willingness to, to take a risk and to meet me and to and so open about everything that you've done and, and it's so impressive for being self-taught and to for the you know less than a decade that's that goes back fast like that you know yes. what i mean and, and hearing you listen list all of the places that you you're at now it's it's awesome thank you yeah thank you appreciate the time and and again everybody check out goblin pottery and urban co-op art urban art co-op urban yep. art co-op yep and sign up for some ceramics classes for sure yeah and check out autumn's all all the works in the locations that she's i'll, I'll list them out in yeah, the description sure. because yep. there's quite a few instagram's always good too yeah and follow her on instagram and and buy some buy some galaxy mugs there you go <laughs> awesome. thanks awesome.